0: Chronicles chapter 29 um, and that's on page 433 of the church Bibles. So 1 Chronicles starting chapter 29 verses 1 to 20. Then King David said to the whole assembly, my son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man but for the Lord God. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God. Gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colours, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. All of these in large quantities. Besides in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple, 3,000 talents of gold, gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings, for the gold work and the silver work, and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, who is willing to consecrate consecrate himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave towards the work on the temple of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 darics of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Any who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Gershonite. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, "'Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, "'from everlasting to everlasting.'" Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honour come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are aliens and strangers in your sight as were all our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. O Lord, our God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for building your temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. O Lord, God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, requirements and decrees, and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed low and fell prostrate before the Lord and the King. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you very much, Lucy. Would you turn to that passage if you haven't got in front of you? It really is helpful if you do. It's page 433. Now, here's something that you can say to when your friends say nobody's going to church. It's all very sad. Attendance at cathedrals is increasing. 3% on average per year. Put that in their pipes and smoke it. Sociologist Grace Davies sees their strength, the strength of cathedrals, as coming from making no demands on visitors and requiring no show of loyalty. A cathedral offers vicarious religion and, she says, is responding to a desire for anonymity. Listen to this. The option to come and go without explanation or commitment. The option to come and go without explanation or commitment. And in the same article in the Spectator magazine, Andrew Brown and Linda Woodhead's book about the Church of England called That Was the Church That Was records the writer's reflection on this phenomenon. They wrote, In a cathedral, you can hide your faith behind a pillar, with none of that banging on about Jesus. Actually, I think there is a place for attending a place of worship and for hiding behind a pillar, particularly when people are exploring what the Christian faith is really about. However, in the long term, not being wholeheartedly committed to something that really matters becomes deeply unsatisfying and unsatisfactory. It is natural for a Christian to want to identify fully with and be committed to a local community of Christians in a church. Nevertheless, I'm aware that the very word commitment on this Commitment Sunday can be unattractive in a world that seeks to avoid it. And the word does not actually appear in the Bible passage before us, but it is present implicitly. King David is coming to the end of his life, and he longs to leave a legacy. So what's new? Legacy leaving, it's absolutely contemporary. His legacy that he wanted to leave was the building of a suitable temple for the worship of God. But God had made it clear to David that he was not the one to leave that legacy in spite of his longing to start this vast project. Because, chapter 28, verse 3, because you are a warrior and have shed blood. No, that honor was to go to his son Solomon. Chapter 29, verse 1, there's a problem. Solomon is young and inexperienced. And moreover, this was to be no ordinary structure but a palatial structure which was not for man but for the Lord God. So what you can see is a vast palace, so to speak, for the worship of God. Not an ordinary building. Versailles, Buckingham Palace and all the palaces you can think of and indeed the the remains of the temple uh, that you can still see, at least the stones, are vast. It was a vast structure. So What a huge challenge. What was the response to this implicit challenge to commitment? Here's my first point. Leaders must lead by example, and David does so. Leaders must lead by example, and David does so. He provides a wonderful list of precious material for the temple of my God from his resources, verse 2, as king. But in addition, note this in verse 3, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures over and above everything I have provided. It's rather as if the queen, who can make resources available as head of state, but might also additionally give what belongs to her personally, for example, from the Sandringham estate and from Balmoral, which actually belong to her as of the family because they bought them. Similarly, as vicar of St. Michael's, I can release resources and, as I do, in addition, give personally for the work of St. Michael's. David gives a lead by demonstrating his commitment and having done so, goes further with his challenge and it's a challenge that speaks throughout the passage. Have a look at it in verse 5. Now, who is willing... To consecrate himself today to the Lord? Who is willing to consecrate himself today for the Lord? He is saying, he is asking, in effect, who is willing to demonstrate the priority God had in their lives by their voluntary and generous giving to the worship of God. And inspired by David's example, the establishment, look at them in verse six, follow suit. Heads of families, military and civil leaders, release a torrent of precious materials for the temple. So the answer to David's question about who was willing to consecrate themselves to God was a whole lot of people. You then get a virtuous circle. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders. For, verse 9, they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord, and David also rejoiced greatly. So it wasn't just that the money, the gold, the silver, and the jewels were now available, it was the way they had been given. And the people rejoiced at their leaders' attitude in giving as well as their generous response. It was a willing response. They'd given freely, wholeheartedly. And everyone rejoiced, it was now evident for all to see that many indeed were committed to this vast project costly as it undoubtedly was. I want to say a little bit about myself for a moment. My first commitment is to God and from that co- uh, commitment comes my commitment to St. Michael's to you. I have been so committed in the past I am today and I will be in the future. I'm always personally challenged on Commitment Sunday. I make my pledge by getting out my calculator. I'm hopeless in math, even 10% is a very difficult calculation for me. I look at my finances, and I work out my tithe. I have also in the past made an additional thank offering, and will do so this year. Many of you will know that I was ill at the beginning of the year, And I have to tell you, I am thankful for every day of my life. Each day is a unique and special gift. So I'm not inviting you this evening to do something that I'm not trying to do after thoughtful and prayerful consideration. Here's my second point. Our commitment in giving is inspired by God's generosity towards us. Our commitment in giving is inspired by God's generosity towards us. As David prays, he focuses on God's supreme authority. He has qualities that belong to royalty who rule a kingdom. Look at verse 11. Yours is the power and the glory. And, of course, we're reminded of this whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And that power and glory are seen in the description of what belongs to the Lord. Everything in heaven and on earth is yours. And the Lord freely gives, as David declares, wealth and honor come from you. That's in verse 12. Now this avoids making the serious mistake of arrogantly claiming my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. You remember before the great financial crash that many financiers claim to be masters of the universe. I think not. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8 there is a call to remember. A call to remember that God's people are told to remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Yes, you may have worked hard. Yes, you may have taken the opportunities, but who think you gave you the skills and the character and the opportunity and the intellectual gifts that have given you the resources that many don't have? And God who possesses everything also freely gives. No wonder David praised God, verse 10, and he gives him thanks for God's character and nature and his glorious name. And this leads David to a humbling conclusion. All things come from you, verse 14, and of your own do we give you. It's a humbling conclusion because David realized as great as he was in human history at his time and even today, God, of course, is far greater. And so he says those haunting words, who am I and who are my people in comparison with Almighty God? The answer, of course, is nobody. A mature faith, a mature Christian faith, will make no room for an arrogant attitude but only humility when it comes to a relationship with Almighty God which is why in communion services, in our morning service, there is a special prayer when the collection comes up. Perhaps we ought to have it occasionally here at the evening service. It's called the Offertory Prayer, and it's based on David's prayer here. Here is that prayer. Yours, Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the splendor, and the majesty. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. All things come from you and of your own do we give you?" So we mustn't focus too much on what we are giving. We are simply giving back to God what he has lent to us. Here's my third point. Our commitment in giving is inspired by God's grace. Our commitment in giving is inspired by God's grace. All this abundance, verse 16, provided for building the temple, it comes from your hands, said David. They are signs of God's love for his people, and they have no right to anything. They had no right, for example, verse 15, to the promised land where they were still aliens and strangers. They had no right even to life itself, which remains as fleeting as a shadow. Isn't that a sobering thought? One commentator says this means that a person's physical situation as well as his or her spiritual standing, owes everything to God's generosity. God's generosity, or his undeserved, unearned love, is seen here in the Old Testament. It's the grace of God, which is not just in the New Testament, but all the way through. Of course, it is supremely seen in the New Testament in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, well known, it means a great deal to me, powerfully expresses that grace. What shall we say in response? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Humanity is in a prison of our own making. The prison of self, of me first, of sin. And Jesus came to rescue us and to free us, to unlock the prison door. And we are able to go out if we receive his grace. He achieved this on the cross. By his death and resurrection, he became our ransom. Isn't that a powerful contemporary thought as we think of prisoners and ransom? The ransom was the price paid for our freedom. And that offer of freedom is available to anyone of any nationality, of any age. The other wonderful thing about St. Michael's is that we have nearly 30 nationalities. We have people from Mongolia. We have people who are refugees from Eritrea. We have all nations because the love of Jesus is available for all. God is an equal opportunity donor, if I may say so. And if David understood God's grace, if David understood it, we have even more reason to do so. And we therefore have even more reasons for responding willingly and joyfully to God's generosity and grace. Do we? Have we? Will we? Who is willing to consecrate himself, herself, to the Lord today? And my final point, my fourth point. Our commitment in giving is God's test of our heart. Our commitment in giving is God's test of our heart. David knows that behind it all is a much bigger question. Do we, do I, have a right attitude of heart towards God? So he prays for the people in verse 18, Keep this desire in the hearts of your people and keep their hearts loyal to you. And he prays a similar prayer for Solomon in verse 19, And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, requirements, and decrees to build the palatial structure. The word heart appears five times in just three verses, verses 17 to 19. Though one of those occasions is less obvious in our Bibles, in other versions of the Bible, with honest intent, verse 17, is translated as with uprightness of heart, five times in three verses. Gifts given willingly and with joy, verse 17, come, verse 19, from a wholehearted devotion. So giving to God for his church, for worship and service, that is at the heart of who we are and what we do. When we gather together, we acknowledge God's worth. We acknowledge who he truly is. We acknowledge that he is worthy of our cha- our, phrase, of our praise. I was reading this morning a, a wonderful Psalm, Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. So giving to God for his church for that unique thing we are about, which is his worship and service, is not just about our response to God's generosity measured by how much we give. No, it's all about our attitude in giving. It's therefore God's test, verse 17, God's test of our heart towards him. And note the other word in verse 17, our integrity. As I asked a few weeks ago, and I think Trisha asked recently here in the evening service, so... What is the state of your heart towards God? For our thinking affects our desires. Behind verse 18, there is an an echo of Genesis 6 before the flood. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. This is how it reads. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And that is why David prays for the people, keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. The danger is that if our thinking can change, our attitude to God then will change and our hearts will change. So there is no room for complacency. But where everything is in order, thinking, attitude, and heart towards God, then the natural expression, verse 20, is praise to God. They all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed low and fell prostrate before the Lord and the King. Wouldn't that have been amazing if we could have been there to see it? It was a celebration, it was a party, there was joy. So we've seen from 1 Chronicles 29 with this challenge to commitment. Firstly, leaders must lead by example to the challenge of commitment. Our commitment in giving is inspired by God's generosity. Secondly, thirdly, by God's grace in the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our commitment as giving is God's test of our hearts towards him. Who is willing today to consecrate himself, herself, to the Lord. And whilst I'm conscious and very grateful to so many of you at St. Michael's in the way that you do consider your giving faithfully and conscientiously, I'm going to have to admit to you that I always have a slight feeling of disappointment by the response to the day of commitment. And when I try to analyze this, I think it's for a number of reasons. Getting the pledge forms, the responses, does not come back in a rush. It comes in in dribs and drabs. Now basically, you can send it by pigeon, email, we will come and collect it, or you can post it to us. Anyway, we cannot work out a budget by guessing. I'm concerned that our giving is so dependent on the few giving very generously. Raises the question whether all of us have faced up to our responsibility, our commitment in giving as disciples of Jesus Christ. I wonder what it says about the attitude of our hearts to the grace and generosity of God. For I note from 1 Chronicles 20, when there was a right attitude to God and people's hearts towards Him expressed that healthy attitude, the response was wholehearted and there was a great deal of joy and of celebration and praise. I don't want us to miss out, I want us to be full of joy and of celebration and praise after our day of commitment. I don't know how the finances of St. Michael's have got to where they have. It comes from us, but it's come in the most extraordinary ways of answers to prayer over the years. It should drive us, it drives me to my knees. Half a million pounds it costs to do the ministries that God has called us to do. It's so exciting. Andrew talked about the ark. 100 children, 50 each time. We can only hold 50 each time. And people start to come to St. Michael's and start to see who Jesus really is through that ministry. It's the ministry of supporting eight children in Tanzania who very sweetly in their description of themselves, describe themselves as peasants. They are girls and boys who have no opportunities otherwise. It's supporting the Parkers in Sudan. It's supporting the work of St. Barnabas in our prayers. Many of us are involved in investing. We are investing in the kingdom. We're responding wholeheartedly to God's generosity. And I believe that we can be part of that rejoicing and celebration as we reconsider afresh the generosity and grace of God. And let it take hold of us. We are privileged. So privileged. This is a very old hymn, but the words are very powerful. Listen to them quietly as we reflect on the generosity and the grace of God. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down, did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all.